Welcome to Decades From Home, a podcast about the weird and wonderful side of living in Germany. And all without saying, why I, man? I'm Nick Houghton of 40percentgerman.com and I'm joined by my co-host Simon. He's a real macker, Maddox. How are you? I'm doing all right. What's all this macker stuff about? Yeah, this is, we're setting things up. Like, we're prepared. Like, this isn't just freewheeling nonsense. Uh, we're going to find out what a macker is later. Ah, interesting. Um, but yeah, I mean, you hit us with a YI man, and I just want to clarify, this has nothing to do with Macums. I was going to say, I was getting a bit concerned. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not from Sunderland or of Sunderland. Um, <laughs> I think that might be a, a problematic reveal at this point. It'll be a real like HBO drama reveal after mm-hmm. two seasons. So you're like, I'm a, secretly a Macum. Yeah. And that's the end of the podcast. <laughs> I, was, I was a spy the whole time. The city of Sunderland have commissioned me to spy on the thoughts of the tune. Do you think I'm that brittle that I would be concerned about a Sunderland fan being being a part of the podcast? I'd welcome your northernness with open arms. <laughs> I'm sure you would. I'm sure you would. I think you also have like a, a selective memory about how upset you get <laughs> when you talk about the Macams. <laughs> like it, it's, it, it becomes very clear that there is centuries <laughs> of, mm. of, of issues that, that underlie this this relationship, this complex twin twinning of cities way for me you guys are all the same (laughs) as a a southerner (laughs) that's a brutal indictment of the southern opinion right there Uh, you're all from the northeast you're all hard (laughs) it's listeners will probably be aware by the general sound quality unless the producers done some real magic with my mic i am currently in the uk hiding in a cupboard with a bed sheet over my head to muffle the sound and it's been a very it's been very quiet from from the Sunderland perspective, I haven't heard anything from Sunderland in, in all the time I've been here. So that's pretty positive. I'm sure listeners will want to know what the hell I'm talking about. So um, Newcastle, my home city, has a deep and dark rivalry with Sunderland that we've mentioned, but I don't think we've ever mm-hmm. gone into the darkness of it. But uh, at the moment, everything's sunny in Newcastle, so we've got no no need to concern ourselves with those south of the river. Uh, everything's tickety-boo up here at the moment. <laughs> It's like the English Nuremberg and Furt, isn't it, really? Like, you share an underground line, and you, you kind of hate each other, but th- there are similarities. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of similarities, but I wouldn't say that in the city of, of Newcastle or Sunderland. <laughs> but, I mean, there is. They have similar shops, similar outlooks on life. Are Greg's allowed to open up outlets in yeah. Sunderland? Okay. Okay. You know, um, capitalism doesn't stop for borders, <laughs> you know. But oh, I'm so happy because it's the first time I've come to Newcastle with my family. And it's the first time I've been able to introduce my daughter to the the wonder that is Greg's. Mm-hmm. So I bought her a, a sausage roll the other day just to tentatively see whether she would take it. And she ate it like a champ. She ate like she's been in, living in Newcastle all her life, <laughs> no qualms. Even did the thing that you expect all small children to do, which is to strip the puff pastry away just to eat the sausage bit in the middle, which mm-hmm. she did with some aplomb. So I was quite happy with that. So, yeah, and that side of it's been successful. And obviously, I've been eating my body weight in sausage rolls since I arrived um, <laughs> and steak bakes, as everyone who's a regular listener to the podcast should expect from my trips to the Northeast. But yeah, it's been it's been pretty charming. I sent you a lovely photo of my daughter eating a sausage roll. You did, you did. She looked full of life. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, she's seen the beach. She's properly saying Geordie words, which is hilarious. Mm-hmm. Her uh, purely belter is one of the most beautiful things to hear. <laughs> she gets the proper Geordie belter 
bit at the end, which is really nice. So she's improving her English or her Geordie <laughs> at least. But yeah, so it's a bit different from the last trip because there's less nervousness about COVID. Mm-hmm. I feel at least everywhere, very minimum masks, elderly people in masks. That's most of what you're seeing. Okay. So it feels a little less nervous, but at the same time, still teetering on the edge of falling apart. Like that's what it feels like a lot of the time is it's only, it's a stiff breeze away from total anarchy. That's kind of my feeling going mm-hmm. through the city. I mean, Shields is, as we've talked about, is quite a, a poor area. So it's not got any better since I, I was here in March, of course. Mm-hmm. but there's also really mint stuff, really nice stuff as well. It's one of those things where I told you about the fish key and how they've regenerated the fish key. Mm-hmm. We've got the restaurants and the bars, so now it's just gentrification that's slipping in. You can actually see it creeping up from the fish key up the hill towards the town centre as things slowly become more gentrified. House prices, I'm guessing, are flowing in that direction too. Yeah, it's still quite nice. It's still nice. Have you now got fellas wearing like barber jackets and maroon mm-hmm. trousers, mm-hmm. deck shoes. Everything you've just outlined is essentially what I've seen. <laughs> but there's another thing that I've noticed, and you'll appreciate this, actually, and, and I wonder when you take your trip to the UK, mm-hmm. whether you find anything similar. There's a lot of bars been opened in, like, uh, not just bars, breweries opened in industrial units. In mm-hmm. the, there's a lot of, like, old industry here, old industrial units. We went into one on like Saturday night, and we had a German friend. Our neighbor is, is in Manchester, and he came up okay. to see us. And he was here for one night, and I was like, oh, should we take him to Newcastle? And the weather wasn't great. And we're like, we'll just take him out in Shields. We went to this brewery, and they had sour pina colada beer, which was, that was intense. But they have a lot of Hellas okay. and a lot of like other things, and they're really, they're really good. But the other thing they do, which you'll recognize from your time in Portland, is they do takeaways and litre bottles. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. That's so good. they had like a specific kind of container in Portland, if I remember. Yeah, Portland's like a moonshine jug, uh, like a one-finger bottle holder on the mm-hmm. neck of the bottle. And yeah, I think they take, I think they, they called them growlers. Growlers, um, that was it, yes. Yes. And for British people, a growler is it's a hairy vagina. So it was always, <laughs> <laughs> it was always a, a, a slightly humorous conversation, uh, getting yeah. a growler filled up in Portland. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> yeah, there were some bars that did it in PET, uh, so you get like a pint to go like in a milk container. Um, so how much is a takeaway litre of Newcastle Hellas? Oh, well, it's like, I think the one I was paying for was like eight quid or something for, <laughs> for like a litre of takeaway beer. Okay, for a litre, it's not too bad. Then. It's not bad for a litre, I thought. No. It wasn't like four quid or five quid for a standard supermarket beer. It was actually good, well-brewed, well-made beer. So I kind of felt like you're paying the British premium for alcohol anyway, but you're also you're paying for quality and as a 40% mm. German, how can I not accept that as a legit argument? When they go, well, it is quality. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yes, it is. Yeah, kind problem. So <laughs> did you ask if they're doing Reinheitsgebot, if they're <laughs> brewing according to Bavarian law? Yeah, I didn't dare ask them because then I would have to explain what the Reinheitsgebot was. And I was <laughs> like, then I'd just be that guy in the bar going, do you know, in Germany, they have a law. <laughs> And then no one needs that in their life, right? So I tried to avoid it. But I mean, it's really quality. There's a couple of places that started doing that. And I was quite interested because that's the first time I'd seen it. And it made me wonder 
is it one of those innovations that Germany's going to be impervious to because you just buy a bottle of beer and walk out? Like if you want to buy a litre of beer, you buy two bottles of beer. Yeah, it's definitely different. Of course, this idea of like microbrews doing like special things, like what Pina Colada IPA, did you say? Like that's never going to happen here. Mm. It's just, it's not mm. allowed because of the Reinhardt's could Probably not now. So yeah, I don't think we're ever going to see anything apart from like mixing beer uh, mm. with Coke or like with cherry syrup and things like that. I think that's the, that's the yeah. level that Germany's going to accept. Uh, and I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. Yeah, if I want a fruity one, I just get a Weizen, then I get a banana beer. Wait, happy days. Exactly. I mean, yeah, you could just, yeah, you could just pick one up, I'm sure. My thought would be if you see something that looks like a DIY canned beer, buy it and try it out because usually they're pretty solid options. I was quite impressed um, given my previous experiences with proper Shan British beer. I, I think our relationship with English beer is different because before I moved to Germany, I was, I was exclusively an ale drinker. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't drink lager or anything like that, like a Foster's or a Cronenberg, mm-hmm. like Stella on a night out maybe, Yeah, you know, if I was feeling a bit pugnacious. Um, but I drank ale for years, and so when I go back to the UK, that's the only beer that I want to drink, really. But then I'm also a complete snob <laughs> about <laughs> which ales I want to drink. And yeah. I'm also a, an absolute loyalist. Mm-hmm. Uh, I became a qualified cellar master back in the day, and I did that with Ringwood Brewery. Uh, Ringwood Brewery is a, a small brewery in the town of ringwood down in Mm -hmm. dorset and they've got a beautiful range uh, of beers and that's all i want to drink you can get it in supermarkets in the uk so i might be able to get uh, a 49er uh, or an old thumper when i'm in the uk but otherwise i'm just going to stick to probably wine i think it might be a wine tour of the uk really i'll be interested to see what you make of that it's not going to be English reds or anything like that, but like, <laughs> yeah, we'll see what happens. I think it's better. I mean, it depends where you are. Like you said, if you're in the little villages and small towns, you might, I mean, you might be surprised. I was quite surprised at what was on offer just where we were, but uh, I would have thought it would be more abundant down south, but I, I, you just can't say, can you really, until you see it. I'm effectively doing a village tour, really, like where my mum mm. lives is very, very rural. There's a pub I could walk to. And, mm. but it's not a safe walk like it's on the road and where my dad lives there's no pub within mm. walking distance uh, I don't think and the town my brother lives in the pubs are a bit leery compared to what I like so yeah I don't think I'll be in a pub at all uh, mm. but in fairness I'm not going back to the UK to see pubs I'm going back just to spend time with the family are you making us look like I'm a terrible human being because I want to go to <laughs> This not, this, <laughs> Where do you think I'm going to find my family? They're in the pubs. <laughs> this is also you've been back already. Like you've been able to to break yeah, that. Yeah. Whereas yeah, this is going to be my first time back since of course since COVID. Are you, are you looking forward to it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The way we're doing it because uh, we're not flying, we're getting the ferry, and obviously mm. the ferry is a bit more expensive. But I'm quite looking forward to the idea of just like jumping on a boat in Holland, mm. uh, having a cabin uh, for the night, and waking up in the morning in Hull. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then not having to drive hours to get to my mum's because normally if I were to fly from Nuremberg um, the, you can get flights to Heathrow and Heathrow to where my mum lives is five hours mm-hmm. so yeah that's not really how I'd like to start my holiday and obviously we'd have to rent a car if we fly exactly. whereas now we're taking our car mm. and yeah I get to pick up some stuff you take more stuff with you as well exactly 
And I've asked my mum if I can use her car whilst we're in the UK because I don't really want to drive the length and breadth of the UK uh, with the steering wheel on the wrong side. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it'll be Makes sense. cruising in my mum's hybrid, being an eco-warrior with GB plates. I'll be honest with you, dude, man. Like, it's exactly what I would do. I think we, my wife and I were discussing it. I think the next time we go, we'll, we'll be taking, uh, trying to drive it because we lost our baggage, still haven't got our baggage back. I pure harangued them on Twitter and got mm -hmm. a response, but like, it's not going anywhere. Um, essentially, what we did was we gave our luggage to a guy in Munich who promptly lost it as soon as we <laughs> got it. We got like a message on the flight saying, oh, we're not all the luggage has been able to be put on the plane. And I was like, we've been sitting here for 40 minutes. We're 40 minutes late. Mm. My only assumption is that they took the luggage, it went into the, like behind the plastic um, sheeting that they have when you check in. And then there was just a guy threw it onto a massive mountain of lost baggage. Yeah. We're clever because we put stuff in hand luggage for the baby and for ourselves. Mm -hmm. But like, I've got a pair of trainers in there that I'm probably never going to get back. And I've worn never. I think you probably will get it back. It's just going to take a while. I'm not convinced at this point. I just like, I've just given all my stuff that I like to KLM to fucking lose in an airport. Well, I mean, I, I had this a similar experience with KLM back in 2006, I think it was. No. I was living in Germany. So like 2012, 2013 maybe, mm. where snow hit the UK uh, in the hardest way it had done in, in a generation, I think. And my luggage was lost for, I think, three weeks uh, before I got it back. So I'd already returned to Germany. And because of the way it worked, they had to deliver it to the address that I'd given, which mm -hmm. was my mum's. And so I couldn't have it delivered directly to me. So a guy drove my bag from... Gatwick to my mum's when she was living down south to be told he, he's not here here's his address in Germany and then they could reroute re it to me that's um, fucking so stupid man yeah and because it was a, a travel disaster for tens of thousands of people KLM their response to a claim to try and get money back for the amount because it's how many days you don't have your luggage for like you get more and more money uh, and they just basically made it impossible um, and eventually I just gave up I was just like, I've got my stuff back. I'm not going to keep answering these emails and giving you mm. things that I've already given or giving things that I couldn't possibly have. Uh, like they wanted the original tags, not photocopies, not photos. It had to be the original ones and they were gone because they'd been taken off to deliver it to me, like all this kind of shit. Um, so yeah, I vowed I'd never fly with KLM again. And I, I have. <laughs> yeah, no, because you, you, you're restricted to your choices, but it is mm. very much their systems are designed to wear you out and make it so you don't want to continue complaining and trying to get your money back. They're yep. just like, oh, can you, you need this, you need that, you need these things. And they were like, we've had us listing stuff in our luggage to get it back. Like you saw it in the airport. I mean, this is my, my personal opinion. I've got no facts to back this up, right? But this was my experience was walking around the airport in Amsterdam, it's on bare bones. There's the one or two places open, but most places are closed. Most places were closed in Munich. There's only one food stand open in, in Munich airport. And my thought is the, the airports are running on bare bones because hmm. they're looking to reap as much profit out of this situation as possible. They're running everything on its lowest scale, bare bones, so that eventually they can just pay shareholders off. That's all I can only imagine. Like, yes, it's hard to hire people, but they're not going to pay any more to hire people, so they're going to let their service be as shitty as possible. And I bet you come, like, April, 
KLM are talking about how they're giving dividends back to their shareholders and all this shit because they've mm. run it without like you know how when I'm ship all all the bars and stuff are usually open mm-hmm. only bars were open were Heineken bars every oh, okay. every bar was closed the Irish bars were all closed all the casinos were closed all the facilities were closed and it was just pure bare bones facilities uh, most of the restaurants were closed and uh, and I think that's what it's going to be they'll be sort of it's an economic miracle we've managed to <laughs> make a massive profit and most of the time people aren't going to they're, they're going to do the runaround so people don't claim money back on the baggage they'll just be happy to get the baggage back and then they'll be all right well oh well I'll not complain I guess as well if they're asking customers for a sort of breakdown of things in their bag mm. what you're also giving is a pretty handy key to like which bags can disappear forever um, yeah yeah some yeah Gucci shoes in this one mm-hmm. <laughs> that's never getting its way back to to Kensington mm. um, yeah yeah bastards so I'll, I'll report back on P&O, who are not exactly bastions of good uh, employment rights at the moment. So Yeah, they're a bunch of twats as well. So Yeah, when we were booking uh, our accommodation, because the standard cabin for two people is bunk beds. Um, oh, right, yeah, yeah. And obviously, as a married couple, like our marriage is... is it's pretty healthy. You don't want to act like five-year-old kids. Like we don't <laughs> don't need bunk beds at this point. Um, so I upgraded to um, one with a double bed, and then on the way back there were no ones with double beds. So it was either bunk bed or like the, I think it's called the captain's suite or something like that. Um, so I was like, yeah, fuck it, holiday. So we got like the the luxury cabin on the way back. You don't know how correct your decision making is because mm-hmm. your bunk bed wouldn't invariably be below the waterline. All those cabins you've told about that you've ordered will definitely be above the waterline. Mm-hmm. So there's very little chance you're going to get seasick if something happens. I've travelled on those ships before. If you're in one of the, the, the bunk bed cabins, invariably you're down like under the waterline. And if it's a rough sea, mm. it's grim as fuck. It's like there's no way you're not vomiting. Mm-hmm. Like there is, It's almost an impossibility because you just you wake up and you've already been churned. Uh, and if you've <laughs> had a couple of beers, that's even worse. Uh, but... Um, not that that's necessarily what you'll do, but it's horrible whether you've been drinking or not. And mm. um, P&O isn't exactly known for its luxury, so if you can get something called the Captain's Cabin, I'm assuming that's got to be way better than the fucking alternative. Like, Yeah, like a couple of our friends have, have done it themselves, and they were like, yeah, you've made a good choice. Like, It's nice. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we're not, we're not spending any hotel money in the UK, so being a €100 Euro lavish uh, mm. to upgrade a room, like, it makes perfect sense, I think. So, do you want me to give you a rundown of how bad it is in the UK, or are you fully aware of how shitstormy it's all become? <laughs> I mean, I mean, shitstorm is pretty appropriate. Uh, I mean, obviously, I'm keeping track of things, but uh, I'm sure there are some of our listeners who definitely want to know how crazy things are at the moment on the ground. This is the the scale of things at the moment. The rail unions are on strike. Mm-hmm. The lawyers and QCs are planning on going on strike. I think the express journalists are going on strike. It just feels like everyone's going on strike at some point in the next couple of months. And it's quite funny that the express journalists are going on strike for better pay, given that they're the ones who are writing headlines about how fucking horrendous strikes are and how bad the unions are. I saw the front page of The Sun just today as I was walking in the shop to get a couple of beers, and it said something like, unions holding the country to ransom, and I just wanted to pull them all off and just burn them. Mm. Like, I was just like, you lying fucks. Like, this is the reason why you have unions, to look after yeah. people and protect them from malicious elements like like Rupert fucking Murdoch. And and the, the upcoming Prime Minister has been very vocal about her desires to, to crush the ability to protest. 
as a union member. Honestly, man, the shite they're coming out with is fucking, it's draconian, you know? Mm. Um, I mean, at this point, it's become abundantly clear that Liz Truss is probably going to win yeah. the leadership election, which means you went from posh incompetent <laughs> in David Cameron to grammar school incompetent in Theresa May to posh, like suicidal car crash kind of prime minister and Boris Johnson to literally just like, I think the fucking dumbest person that I've ever seen compete for. And that includes like American politics as well. And America has a fucking good collection of airheaded senators and house representatives. And I'd seen Sarah Palin's running to be a senator as running for the house in Alaska, which Mm -hmm. says it all. But like, I reckon Sarah Palin is more intelligent than Liz Truss. Like, Liz Truss is an empty vessel. The thing that I fucking hate about British politics is um, everyone's talking about how strategic she is. Or, <laughs> it's the same thing they talk about Boris Johnson, but he's very clever. And he's like, he's fucking not clever. If he was clever, he wouldn't have been fucking caught having parties during lockdown. If he was as smart as everyone fucking says, mm-hmm. he wouldn't have been caught with his pants around his ankles. And then everyone's going, well, Liz Truss, she's very, oh, she's a good campaigner. And I was like, if you fucking listen to her, you listen to anything she says. She doesn't sound like a good campaigner. She sounds like she's baffled by the very concept of like walking upright. She mm. sounds completely oblivious to the realities and the shit she says is so toxic. You just, uh, what have you invited in this country? It's proper dog whistle politics uh, mm-hmm. at the moment. 100%. Everything that, I mean, yeah, calling her strategic as someone that supports her, it just means that she says what I want to hear, whatever the group is. If you tell her, okay, today you're in front of GB News, she's going to big up GB News. Today in front oh, yeah, of the, yeah. the Tories of Eastbourne, then she's going to like slander Northerners. Uh, today we're in Wales, and then she's going to be like, oh, I'm going to be really critical of Plaid Cymru. Mm. And yeah, I mean, she's every partner in the union, whether it be Scottish, Northern Irish, Welsh, she's just slandered their leaders. Uh, in a way that she knows, like, gammony English people are just like, yeah, fuck the Welsh, way. Well, it's like 0.028% of the population yeah. will fucking recognise. It's disgraceful. And they're all fucking grey-haired idiots, mm. you know, like, just... And you hear them, They'll see, I've seen a few interviews where they've interviewed people, they're like, oh, I really like Boris, and I'm like, doesn't fucking like you, mate, he fucking hates yeah. you, he hates you especially, like, the Tory voters, they don't care about it, it's pure power politics, they don't care about policy, they don't care about, like, doing the right thing, all this, uh, they were talking about sewage in the water in Britain, because mm. all of these Tory MPs have had voted at the start of the year to allow water companies to dump sewage into the sea, by the way, Britain's one of the few countries in the world that actually privatised all its water supplies. I thought it was the only one. Uh, is it the only one? I think it is the only one. Yeah. I was at the sea today at the coast and I was looking at the Newcastle and I was like, I don't know what they're doing in Newcastle, but they've obviously got it right because it was blue sea, beautiful, right? Beautiful. No. Oh yeah, okay. There was one, t- I saw one tyre, all right? I'll accept. <laughs> and in Newcastle, one tyre is like your best standard, right? But like, it was one tyre, but the water was clear, people were swimming, there was, the waves were good, there was people surfing, looked really nice. And I was like, I don't know what they're doing in Newcastle, whether it's the Labour councillors or the fact that all the MPs are Labour or what, but there's no toxins been dumped into the sea here. But you look at uh, other parts of the country and it's just you wouldn't swim in the water because you heard about this skin-eating bacteria. Like someone told us about it and I was just like, all right, that's another thing that we need to be concerned about. So, I mean, all these things are a bit uh, a canny a canny fucking shit. It's awful. Like it's, it's one of the biggest tragedies that I can think of 
since I left the UK. For years, British beaches, yeah, they weren't mm-hmm. like competition for like the Algarve or like Costa Brava, like, but you go to an English beach and know it was going to be clean. Mm-hmm. And then, like, for years and years and years, the beaches were clean and there was like active progress in making them cleaner year on year. Mm-hmm. And in the last six years, that's just been completely thrown away. My first job out of uni was working for one of the water companies. Mm -hmm. Uh, Shout out Seven Trent Water, you bunch of bastards. I see what you're doing. (laughs) Um, And yeah, the companies didn't care at all about Mm -hmm. fixing leaks, like millions of gallons of water lost every year. And if they invested in the infrastructure, like that could be mitigated to a very high level. And they just never cared. Mm -hmm. Didn't bother them at all. And it's just got worse and worse and worse. And there is no positive thing here. Like place like Cornwall and where I grew up on, on uh, West Sussex, like the, the Sussex coast, Eastbourne, like proper Tory strongholds. How long can these people be blind to the fact that the parties they voted for are literally shitting in their water? Um, mm. It is it's disgusting. I mean, there's a couple of thoughts that I have on that. I mean, it's like, like and so much of Britain is, is like, oh, we'll just get private business involved. Like mm. every solution from government, and that's not just the Tories; it's Labour as well. Oh, we'll just get private. Bi- private business will be able to run this school. They definitely no. won't take liberties. And you're like, have you met anyone who works in the private sector? No. Oh, no. okay. I mean, the 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 other side. I was thinking was while all this has been going on, it does feel quite alarming reading headlines about the the state of sort of the environment, the state of politics, the state of all this like attacks on lefty lawyers woke and you're like like there's the yeah there's making up these terms to complain about people like enforcing laws that protect mm-hmm. people's standards and protect people's freedoms and then i'm like well i can't be any worse in in germany i'll look at germany's headlines today and i'm like oh there th- there's a company decided to stop making a book that's canny shit and now the whole of the right um, wing people are all freaking out. He's read about this winner two. Yeah, book. the winner two. Yeah, well, it's and because of like, the movie as well. Like it's yeah. fucking shite, shite de- books written by colonials, and everyone's like, oh, but, oh, the, the Woko Haram are coming," and oh, and I'm just like, "Are oh, you actually get a silly season in Germany still? You still get a silly season in the summer where just dumbass stories become prominent. There's no silly season in Britain and hasn't been for a very long time. It's all just it's perpetual. Like your your, your garden." <laughs> on fire now your front door's on fire your kitchen's on fire uh, your living room's on fire and your house is on fire <laughs> like it's just constant like doom and gloom but um that winner two story just broke my brain yeah the winner two story is it's really really interesting because it shows one of the most interesting aspects about racism in germany is that a lot of these like middle-aged to old-aged white people it's like telling people it's not racist and it's like you, you you don't you don't get to decide whether your behavior is racist or not like that that isn't you don't get to choose that as the person hmm. causing offense or just taking someone's culture as as a plaything and yeah i mean we've spoken about black facing in the past and that's yeah. sort of tied up in this but there is a really weird part of German culture that's just like, oh yeah, the, the Native Americans, the the Indians, as of course they they call them in German, the Indiana. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, they're they're so special people. Like, oh, their culture yeah, yeah. is so precious, noble, savage, and that shit. And then they just fucking like whitewash the fuck out of it. Mm-hmm. Like wear headdresses at carnival. Like do all this like 
horrible pastiche behavior of what it is and then when challenge be like oh I, I went to america and i met native americans and they didn't care it's like fuck you oh sorry i'm getting, getting well no no no, no but it. like it i totally is, i think it's, it's fucking upsetting. legit i think it's legit this the, my biggest problem with it is it's 60s nostalgia like mm. so these books were written sort of turn of the century or is it late 19th century written by a guy who'd never been to north america never seen mm-hmm. never spoken to a native american until later in his life really late in his life created this white man savior at the end of the books winner two fucking converts to catholicism or some shit or like protestantism <laughs> or something it's protestant work ethics he's meant he's meant to be the ideal of prussian sort of virtue right mm-hmm. and he just like it's all this white savior nonsense he's like exhibits like all the like savage in inverted commas native americans in the books are the ones who get punished but not winner two because winner two has uh, western values you know and, and presents western values it's just some gack book that like kids in the 60s read uh, there were some movies in the 50s and 60s and all these like uh, nostalgic Germans for like some gack TV show that they watched um, or film that they watched in their, in their youth and they get a hard on for like Native Americans that they don't really know anything about except that uh, they watched uh, a show where a white guy dressed up as a Native American with red face. And you're yeah. like, come on. like, And they're, they're like, oh, but it sparked this cultural revolution and people loving Native Americans and loving American culture. Do you remember the um, cowboy bar I told you about that was in Nuremberg? Yeah, yeah, I do remember that. Yeah, yeah. Went to this cowboy bar. And it was. It was fucking hilarious, right? Walked in and there was all these Germans dressed as like John Wayne and they were like, howdy doody and all this shit, right? Mm-hmm. And it was nice. And I drank a bottle of whiskey and I felt like a fucking hero. Until 12 o'clock when they started playing Dixie and they paraded a um, Confederate flag through the bar. And you're like, all right. So that was the bit of history that you were remembering, like the bit where with all the racists. Let's celebrate the racists. Remember when they had the racist flag and and they fought a war to keep slaves? But there's none of that. And that's the problem I have with the sort of German perception of it. It's like stripped of any nuance or awareness of and it's my bugbear with everything as soon as you remove the history every story's fucking great every story's really fun and interesting if you just yeah. remove all the historical context from it it'd be weird if you went to like a beer hall in nevada like there's a mm-hmm. hofbrau house there and then suddenly like at midnight they started playing deutschland deutschland uber alice with fucking Aye, exactly. swastika flags parading around Aye. like I think, I think the Germans might not like that. No. Um, and it's the same kind of message that's being sent with a Confederate flag through a fucking bar in Bayern. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it comes back to this, oh, but it's, it's not racist. It's like, you don't even know what you're doing. Um, you can't defend this when you have mm-hmm. no idea what you're actually doing. Yeah, you don't even know why it's unacceptable. Yeah, like Germans obviously get, uh, have every right to get upset when British people, and it is normally British people, get in trouble with the police in Germany for doing mm-hmm. like the Hitler Gruss, like the Sieg Heil. People do that because they're pissed, and that's a part of German culture that they know, and it's mm-hmm. taboo. Um, but yeah, like being a fucking idiot isn't an excuse, uh, and you can't mm-hmm. be like, oh, I, I, I didn't realize it was racist. Like we had it with mm-hmm. a goalkeeper. Uh, in the Premier League not that long ago, Crystal Palace goalkeeper, there was a photo of him doing a Hitler group. That's right, and he said he didn't know what the Nazis were. Yeah, he didn't something. know who Hitler was, was his defence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So it worked. He, he didn't get in as much trouble as he might have. So yeah, idiocy is, is apparently mitigation. But it's that thing in German culture as well where you see it with antiques. That's something you see a lot, and it's something I've thought about um, a lot and we've talked about before, where... 
you go to antique shops in Britain and there's antiques going back centuries, right? Mm-hmm. And there'll be stuff you can find there that's like, like I was in a place that had lock mechanisms for muskets from like the 1760s okay. and stuff like that. And like preserved and you're just like, bloody hell, you could buy them with like hundreds and hundreds of euros, right? But um, you don't get a lot of like pre sort of 30s stuff like that in Germany. And I'm, I remember saying to your your wife when she showed us some of the furniture she had in the house. And I was like, mm. how have you got that? And so, oh, like my grandparents gave it to us or they'd kept mm-hmm. it. And I was like, because most, like, frankly, the truth of it is a lot of stuff was destroyed during the Second World War because mm-hmm. of the um, strategic bombing campaigns that would often, like, flatten whole city centres and whole cities as well. So there just isn't a lot of antique furniture knocking about for everyday people to buy. But they get this weird thing that happens there whereby you don't have that connection with the past and so the things that happen in the 50s 60s and 70s become so much more immediately important because mm. you don't have those reference points and like i know the antiques thing's a bit of a bit of a weird connection but you get that sense of like nostalgia culture and connections to the past the past doesn't go that far often in germany it even doesn't go as like back you can't even skip national socialism to go to like oh well we did have the 20s because people are like oh well the 20s were the fermenting point for national socialism or we can't go back to the 1910s because that's the first world war or we can't go back any further because it's Bismarck and then you haven't mm. got Germany before then there are these connections are a lot more amorphous or like hard to find and hard to connect with either mentally or physically than you can like say in Britain in a lot of ways because there was a lot of retention of, of physical items but also a coherence of thought that connects and I think the 60s somehow become more resonant in the mindset of Germans and like culture from the 60s has a more resonance for certainly older generations than even it does in Britain. Like people mm-hmm. in Britain like the, like the talk about the 60s, but they're, they're not like hooked up on just that era or only shows from that era or like there's only films from that era or only this era. And, and it feels like the 60s, 70s, 80s were like dead important to culture for Germans and it sort of resonates in music and it resonates in film and in TV and there's lots of remakes and repeats and... Um, sissies on television all the fucking time or Mm. dinner for ones on television that's a great example of what i'm kind of talking about this repeating of well this is okay culture that we can sort of celebrate and my feeling is always that you get that with books as well because like let's be honest these fucking books that became so bloody popular with winner two like often it was the first kind of films that weren't denazification movies that the americans mm-hmm. are making everybody watch like entertainment that wasn't about anything to do with germany it was you could escape into them mm-hmm. this idea of the open plains and winner two this adventure they've got these ideals you know and you could escape into these places and so they have a lot more resonance and people have a lot more feeling about them but they're fucking shit like they're not well written books they're not good movies they're just shit they're just drac fucking crap that we had in the 60s it's like us just building our entire culture around the fucking carry-on movies like <laughs> like you can't because they're just they're of a time and they're other they shit but hearing people talk about it you think they were banning goethe and schiller or fucking <laughs> shakespeare you're like no it's just some low rent writer no, yeah. it's not like when you go on his wikipedia page it's like ah oh, one of the most amazing german writers of his of his era <laughs> it's just like a writer a person who wrote books <laughs> it's like at what point do we just stop defending like wank what happens if with ravensburger don't make winner two books anymore will you still be able to buy winner two books yes because they're not that popular 
when people aren't buying them and pulling them off the shelves, go to a second-hand bookshop, you'd be able to buy them on Amazon. The guy who, who wrote the books, uh, the winner two books, is, of course, called Karl May. Um, and yeah, Hitler liked him. Oh, yeah, of course he did. So yeah, his work was uh, definitely influential. He's actually mentioned in Mein Kampf. Um, really? Yeah, yeah. Hitler said that the novels, quote, overwhelmed him as a boy, going as far to a short, quote, a noticeable decline in his school grades. Uh, so he was so into Karl May's books that, yeah, it affected his work. When you're being supported by people who are notable for burning books they didn't like, mm-hmm. like you're maybe not in the right in the right place. But it's like it, it, you would think the reaction online was that they were cancelling the greatest works of fiction. Um, so you got that story, and then you just got like like I think I'd read somewhere that people were annoyed because Harbeck and um, and Schultz hadn't worn a mask on a flight, and I was just like, oh, I miss Germany where like politics is just. <laughs> really dumb or like really slow or there's like intellectual discussion about it and it isn't just a bloke standing in the street in his pants hitting a pan with a fucking wooden spoon which is what it kind of feels like in britain at the moment uh, like it just feels a little bit crazy but i'm sure you'll enjoy that i don't you know what i had today in the shop when i bought beer I had a woman trying to convince me that i should be concerned about bill gates and how much land he owns in America. And, of course, my reaction was, uh-huh. here, man, pet, like, why are you fucking worried about Bill Gates? Do you know who owns most of the land in England? She's like, nah, I didn't know who does own most of the land in England. No one fucking does. Wouldn't you be more worried about that? And I just left, and she could see it just going like, what the fuck happened there? <laughs> like, totally baffled <laughs> by that conversation. But I hope she fucking looks it up. But, like, that's the kind of shit you, the kind of interactions I'm having is, like, these really dumb sort of political discussions with people. And then I look at Germany, I'm like, ah, oh, you're also having slightly less concerning but equally stupid conversations. I mean, it's fucking tragic that a woman in Newcastle decided to take her opportunity to try and get you worried about Bill Gates when her country is on fire. It's on fire. <laughs> like, what the fuck is she doing worrying about Bill Gates owning land in the States? You're just like, if you're not seeing who's going to be your prime minister? Oh, man. She's, Facebook, I think she's man. made of plastic. <laughs> she's, like, I think if you turned around, I'm, like, and I'm again, I, I don't know, I've not seen behind Liz Truss, I'm fairly sure there's like a little key and you, you wind her up and she comes and boop, boop, boop on the stage and she says, pork markets, tax, <laughs> tax the poor, murder the poor. And everyone's like, yay. And then she goes, boop, 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 back into a box. <laughs> and that's the so end. Of the it. woke update soon, and then using all the Rishi's new new jargon for slandering people with emotions and who want people to be okay. The only funny thing about this is if Liz Trust does become prime minister, imagine fucking Rishi Sunak's career after that. Hey, Rishi, do you remember that? Do you remember when everyone loved you because you were using left wing politics to mm-hmm. to save the economy, and now everyone fucking hates you so much that this empty pile of of hair has beaten you to the leadership of your own political party. Well done. I imagine Rishi will disappear and just Scrooge McDuck the rest of his life, just (laughs) swimming in in a little pool of coins. He'll be fine. I don't think he's going to struggle to get over this. Like His political career is just, it's a plaything for him. Like He doesn't Mm. need to fucking do it. Oh, it's it's so bad. (laughs) we'll bad. We'll wait and see how bad it gets. Okay, so we are recording as ever on a Tuesday night, and this is not just any Tuesday night. This is Tuesday the 23rd of August 
the year of our Lord 2022. And this is a special day. It is Made in Germany Day. Um, shout out to Marianne for linking us uh, to the article from RD. RD even liked uh, Marianne's tweet referencing us. So, yeah, we're, oh, we're wow. <laughs> shooting for the stars with German media companies. So, Nick, how are you celebrating Made in Germany Day? What have you purchased that's made in Germany today? I've just been doing donuts in a BMW outside in the car park. That's pretty German. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, of course, when today when we hear or when we see Made in Germany on a product, it stands for a lot. But I guess the main thing is that it stands for quality and a build that's going to last a lifetime in many cases. And it's a really interesting thing um, because people may not know that the reason that Germany has made in Germany is actually because of the British. Uh, so you're welcome, Germany, your booming economy. Uh, <laughs> what a lovely gift that was. You, sound, you just sound like Liz Truss now. <laughs> yeah. The Tories have got to me. Uh, so it actually started because of one particular industry, and that's actually knives. Because, of course, back in ye olde days, especially in the town of Sheffield, uh, that's where all our good shit was made, uh, all of our cutlery, all of our knives. And they were, yeah, high-quality cast steel, often handcrafted. And they were the gold standard of knives and cutlery for anyone who wanted to eat with posh, expensive stuff. And, of course, when you make a new product like fancy knives, there's going to be counterfeits. Uh, and, yeah, the Germans decided, yeah, this is a good industry. We can make good versions of this. So they started making what would... The British would call counterfeit knives, counterfeit scissors, files for filing things, not for putting documents in, uh, and razor blades. Uh, these were all, of course, pretty hot things to have back in the day. Um, but they were made of unhardened cast iron. So this was a low-quality rip-off, a fake, like going on the Koh San Road in Thailand and buying a, a Swiss Army knife. Um, and some of them were even so cheeky as to have Sheffield-made printed onto them to really square the circle of poor quality knockoffs mm. and so the british government was like this cannot stand uh, we can't let them get away with this and so like okay instead of trade embargoes instead of putting a tariff they decreed that germany had to put made in germany onto these products and it should be a warning saying this product is cheap uh, and it's come from germany and therefore it's bad quality and so, yeah, this plan did not go very well long-term. And, yeah, at the end of the 19th century, German producers were not only sort of making good, they were catching up and dramatically uh, in terms of the quality of their products. Mm. And so suddenly Made in Germany became this very positive uh, sign. So, Nick, are your knives, are they made in Germany or are they Sheffield? Got Sheffield steel in your kitchen. <laughs> I'm afraid. I think they were bought in a German shop, so they could be Swiss made. I've never actually looked, but I'm assuming they're German made. It's kind of funny, though, the idea that they tried to, that they're originally made in Germany was a sign of, of poor quality. Because now whenever mm -hmm. I see made in Germany, I always feel like, yeah, that's probably good then. I'm glad about that. I do remember reading an article a while ago, and it was from someone who he got into trains and he got a train set and 
uh, it was really well made and intricate, like this beautiful like metal train set. And he's playing with it one day, and he looked at the bottom of the train. It said "Made in Germany." It's just like the sort of mid fifties, and he's like, "How is it? How is it the country we defeated in the Second World War were producing <laughs> in the fifties these amazing?" And he couldn't quite get over it, but he, it did give him a respect for the the level of craftsmanship, even in in the fifties. I mean, of course, there were certain sectors that bounced back really, really quickly, as you say, mm-hmm. in the fifties, like clothing, toys. Of course, was a huge industry for the giant market. Yeah. furniture, yeah. tools, pencils. I mean one of the pencil cities of the nation and so yeah th- certain industries really really rose up and did well and of course the, the industrialized nature of germany meant that the production was was good fast uh, and yeah high quality mm. and so this made in germany is kind of it's one one of the many reasons but it is one of the reasons why the german economy exploded in the late 19th century and early 20th uh, so yeah it's very much britain shooting itself in the foot <laughs> Uh, if you go to there's a textile museum in Augsburg and and which sounds as exciting as it really is, um, mm-hmm. but it's one it's one floor and it's it is a good place to go if you've got balls all else to do on a on a Sunday. We went there and they've got all the textile model machines that they'd use in the factories in or in around Augsburg, and he starts in like sort of eighteen. 60s maybe 1850s and it's each each one's like made in england sheffield the machine Mm -hmm. made in england leicester made in england manchester and as it Mm -hmm. gets creeps towards the 19th century start you start to see made in borkham or made like something like that you know like made in germany like made in a town and then you get to eight past 1871 it's like made in germany made in germany and all the machines Mm -hmm. are made in germany and they're more and more sort of modern and more and more improved and Mm -hmm. and and it is that thing of Britain was the first to industrialize, but eventually people caught up on how they caught up as well. But um, it's funny you, you talk about Made in Germany being the label that everybody thought was like poor quality, because now most Germans would see Made in China and go, ooh, I'm not going to mm-hmm. buy that. Made in China is like the, uh, the antithesis of Made in Germany at this point, I think. Yeah. And I've, of course, you've seen China try and get around this to a certain degree by having like Made in PRC, and yeah. hoping that people don't know that it's the People's Republic of China. And so, yeah, this is problematic. Now, of course, there was also with the rise of the EU, uh, there was also a push back in 2004 to remove Made in Germany and just have Made in the EU mm. uh, for all member states. Uh, and yeah, this was eventually defeated, <laughs> yeah, especially the Germans didn't want to shift from made in Germany. Now, of course, there is one huge problem. Uh, and yeah, we've both worked uh, as consultants for companies that mm-hmm. make products in Germany. And there is a big difference between made in Germany and assembled uh, in Germany. Yeah, And this is becoming more and more common. Uh, one of my first big customers here was a white goods company. And the internals of all their machines were definitely not made in Germany. They Mm -hmm. were brought over from Turkey and Greece and other European Mm -hmm. countries or European neighbors and then assembled in Germany, but then it got the stamp made in Germany and was sold at a premium. And so there are differing opinions on what constitutes made in Germany. Uh, So one school is that if enough individual parts of the thing are from Germany, then it's made in Germany. Right. Um, another school is if it's at least 51% of the parts come from Germany, then it's made in Germany. And the third is 45% of the value added is in Germany, then it's made in Germany. So this has been taken advantage of. It's pure sketchy as fuck, that, isn't it? It is. But Trotsdam 
in spite of that, it is one of the most important parts of German industry. German mm -hmm. sales around the world made in Germany still means something, and it will do for the next hundred years at least. It's going to take a long time to destroy the reputation of made in Germany. Well, yeah, at least I know whenever I see anything made in Germany and Britain, I'm buying it because... I can at least guarantee it's quality, but... Yeah, it's a, it's a copy of something British from the <laughs> 1700s. <laughs> Anyone that's been around in Germany for a while who's learning the language will know that it's that time of year again. Uh, it's the Jungenwort des Jahres. And everyone gets to look at a list and be like, huh, huh, what, is, what do these words mean? Or be like, huh, that's so 10 years ago, man. Um, and so, yeah, we talked about this last year and the year before. That's how long we've been doing this shit. We're on repeats now. We're on 2022, Jung of Odis Jahres. And let's have a look at what's on this list. Uh, so voting is still open, I believe, at time of release. So you can vote if you choose to. And we're opening up with Gommermorder. Um, Gommermorder, um, which in German is Unendlich stark oder unbezigbar. Um, and it comes from Minecraft. Uh, are, you a, are you a Minecraft person, Nick? I had to, I had to look this one up because I'm, I'm not a Minecraft person. And it just, mm -hmm. it's it, like this list is frustrating for a lot of reasons. And the most frustrating bit I find is when I'm like, oh, I'm old. And this is the example, and it was. It comes from a YouTuber called Gomer, I think it is, and it's something to do with God mode or God mode. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, it's for, to be very, very difficult or unbeatable for unendless stark or unbesiegbar. Uh, so Gomer mode it is. Yeah, God mode. Uh, yeah. Next up, we have. I don't know how to say this one. Uh, yeah, yeah. I was having a problem with this too. Siu, I think S I U, and you can like have a long dragged out ooh. And this is what you shout when something good or cool uh, has happened, according to Jung uh, des Jahres. And this isn't from Minecraft, it's from CR7, it's from Cristiano Ronaldo. This is what he shouts. Mm -hmm. uh, and this is a Portuguese exclamation uh, for, I guess we would say, cowabunga in, in our Jung des Jahres. So it's... It is an actual Portuguese word, then. It's I not just so. some made-up shit that, like, made up by a marketing company for Cristiano Ronaldo. I, I just assumed it was, it was some racket that he was pushing out there. But again, I don't know. I'm meant to say it when you do something well. Do I go? Sioo! Yeah, I think that's exactly like that. it. Or do you have to do like a crowd of people to go? Sioo! So apparently, like Goal.com is providing the the inside leg on this, and yeah, his his trademark goal celebration. Uh, is a mid-air air pirouette before exclaiming "si," uh, Spanish for yes, but he says it like "siu." So yeah, it's actually Spanish, not Portuguese, but it is like a Portuguese bastardization of the Spanish "si." Right. Um, so there we go, Minecraft and Ronaldo. Yeah. Next one we have is smash. Yeah, I mean, smash has been around in, in the English language for a long time. To to smash something, you're going to do it really, really well. Um, I, I got a feeling this isn't quite the smash that is. It, it's one of those words where I'm like, you've you've totally missed because the the example they give is the video spiel smash or pass. Now smash or pass, by my understanding, as a horrible teenager in the two thousands, was that was smash was a reference to having sex with someone. Oh, so to smash is the, is the rude meaning to... Smash to, was to, like, you are, like, smash or pass, oh, I'd smash her. 
that was the terminology, like overly aggressive, hypersexualized oh. language. And I was just like, eh. And then I was like, what's the video game? I'd never heard of the video game Smash or Pass. And I felt, again, like I was fucking Methuselah. Oh, God. Okay. That, that's, that's, let's move on. That's horrible. Is it? Is, um, the, is the video game is that, though, isn't it? It's like yeah, raping yeah, women or some, some yeah, shit yeah, like yeah. that. And it's just yeah. some horrendous... Like, yeah, that's what I thought it would be. I just assumed it would be. And I was like, why the fuck are we celebrating that word? It just felt like a complete lack of understanding from the people who were choosing oh, words. That is um, that's a bummer. But, yeah, um, not not something that I'm particularly enamored no. with. But No, screw that. Don't vote for Smash, yeah. losers. Uh, next one is back. This yes. was on last year's list. Uh, Vild. Yeah, Vild. <laughs> this, this is what I'm rooting for. Vild is really good. I mean, I say wild a lot anyway. I feel like I'm, uh, uh, you know, I was saying it before it was cool. Um, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so like, I'll say it in class and I get some credibility from my students. And when uh, you're saying it with, like, a Geordie accent, they're like, oh, wow. Yeah, man, it's pure wild, that lake. It's pure wild. <laughs> so, yeah, Wild is something really cool. Yeah. Heftig. Crass. Yeah. You want to say the next one? <laughs> yeah, the, the next one's questionable as well. It's Digger, right? And and yeah, I just Digger. thought, we, I think we were talking about it last year and we were like, oh, it's quite funny. It's a funny little word. Apparently, it's a bastardization of the N-word, as far as I'm aware. It's actually, like, that's one, one strand that I'd read afterwards was, like, it's some kind of bastardization. So The story I heard was it originated from Hamburg and right. it was used as, like, a, it's a, a bastardization of Dicker, like a, a fat boy. Um, so like, hey, fatty, interesting. Used as like, a, so instead of saying, hey, dicker, it's hey, digger. Yeah, digger. But interesting. That, that could be that someone's looked and be like, okay, we need to come up with an, an explanation that isn't mad racist. It could, it could be both. You know, this is what cool young German dudes call each other. No digger. But I, I was surprised. I was surprised by it, and I and I said it in one of my classes, and I was like, "Well, I didn't say it like earnestly or with any intention." I was like, talking about language change, and and I said that word, and everyone went, like don't like just only yeah. like pure arseholes say that." So I was like, "Thank you for telling me that. Otherwise, I would look like more of an arsehole than I do yeah. on a daily basis." So yeah, a nearly forty-year-old Englishman saying "digger" <laughs> seriously <laughs> a, is is not a, cool. What a fucking dick. <laughs> <laughs> Next one is we led the show by saying he's a real macker. Mm. Uh, so we have macker, and that's someone that like does things. <laughs> he's, <laughs> things. He's, a, he's a mover and shaker. He's a ah, macker. Right, okay. So he's like he gets uh, shit done. He's a hard working I don't know if hard working comes into it. It's just someone that makes things happen. Interesting. I, I put together the script, therefore I mach, therefore yeah, yeah. I'm a macker. You are. Yeah. You're the macker of yeah, the yeah. podcast. And yeah. I'm, and I'm. What, what am I? The you're the next one. You're Borden Laws. <laughs> oh, 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 my heart! Why, why you make me cry? So Borden is floor. Borden Laws without floor. Schlecht means unglaublich. Something that's really bad is Borden Laws. Hang on, unglaublich means unbelievable. So I mean, yeah. there's positives there. He's unbelievable. Okay, yeah, you can do that. Ich bin Borden Laws. Uh, <laughs> next twist in. <laughs> Twisting the word of the, the year already. Gonna, that's my aim is by next year it'll be the it'll mean cool, hip, i.e. Nick Houghton. That's the what we're looking <laughs> yeah, for yeah. when they announce that. Uh, if you if you try and incorporate the next word into your vocabulary, maybe it will happen. What's up next? Slay. Oh. Yeah, so slay. 
Sway. Um, is this when, um, I, I believe it's when you totally, you do something to the best of your ability, you totally knock you it out You murdered it. It was so good, yeah. yeah I killed it out of the park. I killed it with my bare hands, so I slayed it. <laughs> and you, I guess it to death. You can say I slayed it, I suppose, but you can also, like most people just say like, slay, man, like just slay it. Yeah. You know, like it's a sort of pep talk kind of language. Yeah. I mean, I, I, from my understanding, this this sort of became popularized in sort of late nineties, like gay culture, really? like RuPaul's Drag Race and these kinds of shows. Right. You really slay in that outfit. Yeah, is, that makes is, sense. When I first encountered it, yeah, um, and yeah, we have words like spectacularis uh, in the definition in the German, and yeah, spectacular. Yeah. Uh, next up, I think was also on yeah. the list last year. Sus. Sus from the video game Among Us. It was so popular during yeah. lockdown. And still, I mean, the kids here use it. My nieces and nephews use it all the time, although they've never, a single one of them played Among Us. But they're always <laughs> talking about things being sus. So, I mean, I would say that's sus if it was something that was dodgy or, mm-hmm. or like you were walking down the street and you saw two people hand off something. You'd be like, that's a bit sus. But you wouldn't mm-hmm. be like, you're so sus, man. You know, like, <laughs> it's not really where I'm at. Sadly, yeah, intonation's everything on this. I think if it Tis works indeed. or not, tis indeed. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty sus. Uh, and we have one final one. Um, there's actually three options on this one. They're being so inclusive. Uh, we're friends, yeah, long-term yeah. friends. Yeah. Uh, are we Bray? Are we bros? Are we bruder? Are we brooding? I feel like we're the more bruder on the spectrum because mm-hmm. it's like Bray feels like teenage friendship. Bro seems like mid twenties friendship. Bruder's like. We're not going anywhere. <laughs> We've you, been through you, too much. As I, say, as I say to my as I say to my wife, and I'll say to you, you can't get rid of me. <laughs> like I'll not. That I'll sounds not like a threat. That's an interesting twist. No, no, you, twist you can on tell. You can phone life. me up tomorrow and say I don't want to be your friend anymore, and I'd turn up at the end of the week, knock on a door, going, "Would you like? Would you like a beer? Would you like to have a beer with me, Simon? Can we be friends?" Yes, yes, we can. Yay. <laughs> Wild order. <laughs> Wild order. Uh, which so which word is your are you putting your money on? Oh, if I had to bet, I, I'm gonna say that it will end up being because this is up for a public vote. I think it might end up being. I, I fancy Wild this year. I like Wild. I have a feeling Gummer Mode is gonna go because it's got the YouTube backing on, isn't it? I have a feeling mm. it'll be something like that. But. um or Sioux, or something that's got like a big following already. I'd like Vild, but I have a feeling it might be one of those two. Just hopefully it's not Digger. I think that would be the, the worst one to win. We'll just shut this down if it does. Just ne- never talk about this uh, this no. young and Verta Desiaras again. So. Sounds good. <laughs> That brings us to the end of the show. We're off to go use all our new youth words. Gomamorda! <laughs> if you're enjoying the podcast, why not give us a rate on iTunes? That would be real cool, brah. Um, only takes a minute. It can really help us. You can also chuck some stars our way on Spotify if you feel so inclined. Retweet us, share a link, or post with the hashtag Decades from Home, all lowercase on Twitter or the Instagram. You can also support the podcast by going to ko-fi.com forward slash Decades from Home and contribute 
computing to make sure we're up to date on all these youth words. It ain't free. I just want to also say that uh, I see you, you new listeners, uh, subscribing to the podcast on various platforms. We love you. But what we'd love even more is if you do jump on to whatever platform you're choosing and give us a star rating. I've seen a couple this week, saw a couple last week. It's making us very, very happy. So, yeah, I can only support my brooders' words with, yeah, mm. go out there and, and give us some star ratings. So, as ever, if you have any questions, feedback, or maybe an article or topic you'd like us to cover, you can tweet Simon on our Decades From Home, and you can tweet me at 40% German. You can also get us on 40%German at gmail.com. If you have time, take a look at 40%German.com. Weekly articles are up every Saturday. All that's left to say is thanks, and bis zum nächsten Mal. Tschüss! Ciao!